Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Sean Savage, CEO and founder of GoShare. GoShare is digitizing the last mile and mid-mile the supply chain to optimize the utilization of the world's trucks and create a more sustainable economy. They have over 100,000 customers, more than 15,000 delivery professionals, and have customers from Fortune 500 to SMBs to just the everyday consumer. Sean, excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Alex. I, I'm excited to dive in. You have a There's a really unique story because you started with B2C and then you've kind of shifted a little bit to, to focus on the B2B model. Where I'd love to start is how did you actually get started with the initial idea? And we can kind of we can kinda go through the show as far as like how you've made the transition and learnings and things, but where did the actual entire thing come from? Yeah, the idea kind of came from a couple of different experiences that I had in my in my life. You know, one of them was when I was in college, I had a house painting business and I ended up spending a lot of time driving back and forth to the paint store in New Jersey, trying to get paint and supplies to different job sites throughout the day. And at the time, I remember thinking, you know, it would be great if there was a, you know, a delivery service or a way to get these, this paint delivered to the job site instead of having, you know, having me or someone on my team having to go to the store, you know, on a daily basis or more than once a day. And then I also think, you know, after college, there was a, you know, every year I always needed a truck for something, you know, it could have been you know, moving to a new apartment or, you know, buying a you know, piece of furniture or a big screen TV from, from a store. And I always ended up having to rent a truck. And I just always found the experience to be, you know, annoying. And I wanted to create a platform that not only, you know, helped provide jobs for people, but also made it easier for people like me, whether as a business owner or a consumer to get, you know, a truck and some extra help when I need it. And at the time, there was no no solutions like that that existed. Yeah. So so entrepreneurship is not not new to you. I mean, we can get into the house ba- painting business maybe on the, on the next episode. But I, I so you have this idea. You've you felt the pain the pain personally. There's not a lot going on here, right? I mean, there's there's the Grubhubs in the in the Uber Eats of the world as far as delivering food back and forth but not really this moving things around. I mean, obviously the moving and storage industries existed. How did you actually like go about even getting started? I mean, buying a fleet of trucks and equipment seems and storage seems like a, a, a tremendous amount of, of money and investment. Yeah. I, you know, buying a fleet of trucks would be very expensive. And I think that's kind of the idea for the whole business model, you know, instead of owning the trucks and the vehicles, the delivery professionals that, join GoShare, own their own equipment. They own their own truck, their own van, their own car, and and some of their own equipment as well. And so the idea here is there was all this, I would call like excess capacity of trucks on the road. Like for example, every year in the United States, over a million new trucks hit the road. And so, you know, there are quite a few of them out there and they were being kind of underutilized. And we saw that as an opportunity because there were there were companies that came before us in, in the space who were doing you know yeah you know, like food delivery or or ride share for example but nobody yeah. was like really focusing on trucks and like on those big and bulky items that are really difficult to to move between two locations that's interesting so what you have this idea it makes sense that nobody's really doing this how do you get started i mean are you, do you focus on the app first and just trying to is it a, a consumer to somebody with a truck kind of play like, hey, I need to move across the country to school or how did you get started? Yeah, we, we started by doing a couple things. So it's a two sided marketplace business, right? So on one side, we have our delivery professionals who are the you know truck and van owners. And then the other side, you have customers. And for us, a customer could be an individual you know consumer or it could be a, a business. And so when we first got started, we, we actually just started putting ads online and just saying like, hey, if you own a truck, would you be interested in, a, in joining a platform where you can make money moving, you know, cargo instead of like delivering people or anything else? And, you know, pretty quickly, we, we had several hundred people sign up for it just on some 
you know, a couple of free ads that we posted online and some, 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 you know, social media posts that we did. And as soon as we saw the signup list kind of growing from zero to a few hundred within the first couple of weeks, we're like, all right, like we might be onto something. And if we can get the supply, the driver side in place, I, I knew that there would always be a demand for the service, you know, whether it's, you know, delivering large items or moving large items. And so we started by focusing on building out mobile apps specifically for, for iPhone and Android for both sides of the marketplace, a driver app and a customer app, just to make the, the process really simple and seamless. And it, it just, you know, when, when we launched in the middle of 2015 with a very small budget, you know, it, it was it was obvious pretty quickly that there were people interested in using the platform. And we, we started getting both retail businesses who were kind of using us to deliver items from the store to their customers' homes. And we were also getting consumers who were like, hey, I just need a, a van or a truck to to move to a new apartment, for example, and, and, and an extra set of hands to help me with the loading and unloading. And, and, and it, it was just kind of an alternative, I guess, to, to renting a truck or hiring a traditional moving or delivery company where, you know, the, their reputations typically were not that great because, you know, they were kind of unreliable, known for, for breaking and damaging items and not always an easy process. You know, you got to make some phone calls send some emails and a lot of back and forth. And so our goal is just to make apps that would make it really easy for the driver and the customer to kind of connect with each other. That's interesting. So marketplaces are really challenging. I mean, I, I've, I've built two myself and it's always that chicken and the egg, like which one goes first, the, ho the supply side, the demand side. And so if I understand correctly, you're saying, hey, let's go find some drivers who have trucks, who have their own fleet. So you don't have to invest in it. You don't have to hire people. You don't have to pay for all the, this equipment or, the, or this fleet. And you started to put ads out, you got you got some interest. So when you say, hey, we started to get some uptick, people were signing up on this, what'd you create? Like a landing page that, that sent mm -hmm. all the ads to this landing page? Okay, so you had yeah. that going. And then, I mean, I would imagine there's like quality control. There's, hey, can they, can they you know, lift a certain amount? Is there insurance? Like how, how did, it seems like, hey, all right, I got a guy with a truck. He's decently strong. He wants to make yeah. a couple of bucks to how do I turn this into actually like something? Yeah, I think the vetting process of the drivers is really important for us. Like the chicken and the egg problem, like you said, it kind of came down to first making sure that there were drivers out there, supply that was interested before we started attacking the demand side. And so once we kind of figured that out, we, we knew that, you know, we were on the right track. And, you know, I think as far as the drivers were concerned, they they came to us basically through a landing page. They were signing up and just expressing interest. And then we had to develop like kind of our own vetting process for these delivery professionals over the years. And you know, part of the software suite of, of products that GoShare has built is the is software for vetting the drivers like each step of the way. So before they can become activated on the platform, they have to, you know, pass a written test, they have to pass a vehicle inspection. They, we verify all of their documents and we do a background check on them. And so that process that we've kind of built out allows us to control the quality of the delivery professionals that we're bringing into the network. And, and we take that really seriously. That, that makes sense. So you're starting to get some traction on that side, which is really the, you know, you, it's almost like your product in and of itself. So now that you start to have this, this list of, is, is it, people with trucks or vans or whatever it is, how do you go, what, what's the process to then go find the people that, that need it? Is it a, hey, I'm gonna go find people who are trying to move? Is it, mm -hmm. I'm trying to find businesses who are trying to deliver things? Every, every, everything that you read these days is find your niche and find your niche and pick yeah. one thing. Like, is that something that you used or were you kind of all over the place initially? So I think initially we knew that there was two different use cases for, for GoShare. One was a consumer use case for moving, and the other was a, a B2B use case for last mile delivery, essentially. And so we started off on the consumer side because one, it's a little bit cheaper and faster to acquire consumers. You could do it through online advertising, through search engine optimization, through social media. There's, 
there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. And we kind of looked at each customer as kind of like, it's, it's practice, right? So like each time we were doing it, we were able to get feedback from those customers and improve the system. We also started realizing after the first like two or three years in business that one, businesses, particularly retailers among others, were starting to use us organically and through our marketing efforts. And we, we learned that there was a really big opportunity in that space because one, people want things delivered faster, right? Whether you're shopping at a store for a big and bulky item, like it could be furniture or television, et cetera, or if you're shopping online, you have to deliver things fast. And when, when GoShare started looking at this problem, a lot of the incumbent you know, delivery companies at the time were more traditional companies. They weren't necessarily technology focused companies. They were you know, a, a regional you know, owner of several trucks and their delivery times were usually like one to two weeks out and reliability was considered very poor. Communication was poor. Scheduling was very inconvenient for the, the customers who were receiving the goods. And so we saw all of those challenges as opportunities for, for GoShare to kind of come in with a platform that is really easy to use, very reliable, very convenient for, for the person receiving the goods as well as the, the store. And we started focusing on acquiring business customers along the way. And we kind of started off with, you know, either smaller businesses that maybe only had one or two locations. And then we started graduate gradually, you know, working our way up to Fortune 500 enterprise retailers that have locations around the United States and, and internationally as well, because they had similar problems. And because of the 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 consumer requirements these days to have things delivered quickly, I think a lot of businesses who were progressively looking at this problem and they were saying, hey, we need to be able to deliver to our customers faster and when they want it, as opposed to this more traditional model that was you know, less convenient for and, and less transparent for everybody involved. Interesting. So what did the team look like in the first, like you launch, you launch in the, or is it the spring, summer of 2015? What, what did the team look like there, including like roles? Yeah, at the time we launched, the team was, was obviously small. It was myself and I had hired several software developers to kind of help me build the first version of the platform. One of them, Francisco, is, you know, he kind of started out as an, as an intern. He was studying at San Diego State University and he went on to become our, our senior VP of engineering and has built out the, the entire engineering team for us. So, you know, at the time it was just, it was me, Francisco, and a, a couple of other engineers. Interestingly, my mom joined the company and also still works for us. She kind of at first came in as a as a as like a, a friends and family investor around that we did, and and eventually we started getting so busy that we needed help. So I had asked her to kind of come and help with the you know the customer service and driver support aspects of the business, and and she did that and and helped build out that team for us and. You know, I think the first uh, the first few hires for GoShare, including our our first VP of sales and our and our first uh, marketing manager, who are who are both still with the company, they they actually started as volunteers. Wow! And uh, yeah, I think they just kind of believed in in the business model and and saw the potential. And you know, I think at the time we were just trying to we were very scrappy and didn't have a lot of money. It was my own personal investment that I put in, my mom put in a little bit of money. And yeah, we, we were lucky, lucky enough to find, you know, a couple of really strong, you know, people to, to join the company and, 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 and they're all kind of still with us to this day. So it's been, well, that's it's been we're going to have to dig into to culture and leadership on, on here, but this is pretty wild. So you had people who were interns and volunteers who are now helping you lead this company and have grown it to the size that it is today. This is, this is interesting. So so you start with this B2C play and is it, I mean, are you doing ads? Are you, obviously with Craigslist, you can, back in the day, you could post everything for free and it didn't cost you a dime. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, is this how you're really kind of getting the initial customers? And then like, I, everything's just through the app. I mean, is there, where's phone support? Where's when something mm -hmm. goes wrong, that type of thing. Yeah. So in terms of like the, the go-to-market strategy in the beginning, 
we did a yeah it was a lot of scrappy things like we were posting free craigslist ads definitely every single day my i had a background in search engine optimization i spent several okay. years doing that before starting GoShare, and so from day one we've always kind of focused on on, on seo as a tool to not only bring in drivers but also customers and investors as it turned out as well so several of our earliest investors found us through organic search which was really cool and that was a, a big part of our strategy as well we've always focused on like creating really good content for the site and making sure that we are uh, also using like social media and things like that to promote that content and on top of that, a lot of it was just picking up the phone and making calls. It was old old school sales tactics, you know, cold calling and and prospecting and making lists of businesses that we think would be a good fit for the program and and just doing our best to reach out to them. And yeah, some you know, it was just a running running us like a, a small sales team and just making a lot of phone yeah. calls and, until we found the decision makers. That's interesting. See, you're 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 pushing all these ads out, and I would imagine you're driving both consumers as well as the businesses. And then you have this outbound approach in addition. So, are you? Is it is it mainly retail that you're going after, or is it you know your your traditional office type of business where they might be moving employees might might be remote? Like, how how did you even structure the initial go to market to know how to use those old school tactics? Yeah, I, th I think we always knew that retail was going to be one of the primary categories that we were going to focus on from a sales and, and a B2B standpoint. So we always were looking at those retail businesses as like number one. Anyone who's selling big and bulky goods was like the primary target for us. So, for, you know, furniture retailers, television, appliances, things of that nature. We always knew that there was a, a good fit there. But today we, we see quite a few different industries who have started using GoShare on a daily basis, including uh, food and beverage has been really big. And, and I, when I say food and mm -hmm. beverage, I'm not necessarily talking about like delivering a single order from, you know, a fast food restaurant to someone's home. I'm actually talking about like big and bulky food orders. So like we transport typically pallets of food or, or large quantities of boxes of food, perishable and, and non-perishable. And so that, that's been a really interesting category. Another category that we we had success with early on was, I would call it like home improvement, anything in that category, but particularly solar. So solar panels, mm -hmm. you know, that need to be moved from from point A to point B uh, to be installed on on either a, a residential or commercial project. That's been a, a category that has been really strong for us, and we've also gotten some traction in other verticals as well, like automotive parts, you know. Really, uh, it could be anything, anything big and yeah. bulky, you know, tires, for example, that need to be transported. So yeah. that's where we kind of saw the most attraction so far on, on the business side. It's really interesting because what, what I'm hearing from you is it's never, it's not really like, hey, let's pick this industry or let's pick this vertical. Is It's really you're starting with the problem. The problem is, is this big, bulky you know, odd items, difficult to move, like you're really starting with the problem and kind of working your way back to, all right, so that makes sense to be in food and beverage that has big bulky items. That makes sense to be in automotive that has, you know, tires only, there's only so many that even fit in a car or, a, you know, even a pickup truck that you think about it. It's just like everything is, seems to be reverse engineering back from the core problem of moving big bulky items. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, 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 you know, when we started the company, it, it did start with the problem, right? It was literally just writing down, okay, what are some problems in life that can be solved with technology? And this was, this was clearly one of them. And so, yeah, we're, we're semi industry agnostic, but at the same time, like from a go to market and sales strategy standpoint, we definitely have certain categories that we, we focus a lot of our efforts on because we know that the solution works for, for those particular industries. But in general, we're industry agnostic. You know, if, if yeah. you need to deliver something big and bulky, you know, there's a good chance that we can help with it. So you have your, I want to talk a little bit about your team as far as you have your VP of business development who's on your team now, but started as a volunteer. I would imagine that, you know, you're, you're the first salesperson, CEO, best salesperson on the team. Is this person just coming in and working a couple hours a day, a couple hours a week? Like, 
how does this person transition to, you know, kind of this, this head of sales business development role? Yeah. So th this person in particular, Christian started out, I, I would, I think it was kind of more part-time, you know, volunteer work and, you know, at, at the time and still to this day, he, he and his wife own a, a music studio. And so he also oh, teaches cool. guitar. So he kind of, he always had that as well as like a, 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 an income stream to kind of help support him. And so I think that made it a little bit more realistic for him to kind of join us at first as like a volunteer. And so, yeah, his role in the beginning was, you know, it was, it was more part-time, it wasn't full-time. And then yeah. once we, once we raised money from investors, which the first round of financing we did was in, I believe, May of 2016, that was when we kind of hired him and a few other people, you know, full-time and put them, you know, on the payroll. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, the audience needs to know that the best way to find your head of sales is to get them to start as a part-time volunteer. <laughs> it's definitely one way of doing it. You know, I think, I think everyone has kind of their own story and, and, and it's, you know, everyone's situation is, is very unique, but yeah, for us, that, that just worked really well. You know, it's just the way it kind of played out. And yeah. I don't know if that's going to work for, for everyone who's listening. I, I think there's obviously there's a bit of luck involved. There's timing. There's there's a lot of different factors, yeah. but that's one one way of doing it. Yeah, one way of doing it is is you know trying to find people who believe in the company so much that they're willing to join as, as like a volunteer. You know that that's a, I think a really good sign. And uh, but it can't say that it's, <laughs> it's 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 something that you should you should all try to do. As we're growing through the company and we're having some success, you're starting to get some traction. The business is starting to pick up more and more customers. You're starting to pick up more and more drivers. I would imagine that, you know, more work is being created. Like, how do you think about like in those, those initial days? So you're kind of transitioning out of having to lead every single department. You need to start hiring some people to have, have actual like leadership or department heads. Who were who your first few like initial hires to put into place and, and how did you think about doing that? The way I always looked at it was like, what are the tasks that we need to delegate right now to other people? Because I just can't handle it myself. So, you know, for, first for me, you know, the, I'm not a software engineer by trade. My background is in sales and marketing. I don't, I don't know how to write code. So I knew, first of all, like I had to have, a really strong engineering team. This is going to, was going to always be a software company, a technology company. And so it was really important to have good software engineers on the team. And then I think beyond that, you know, yes, of course you have to, there are certain, certain folks you need to, to have on board to help you as the, the company grows. So like, yeah, you have to deal with customer service. You have to deal with, in our case, we have basically two different departments. We have a customer service department and a driver service department or driver support. And we had to hire people in those, in those areas as well. And yeah, the things that you always need help with early on, other than building the product, hiring engineers is marketing and sales. And so we, you know, slowly, but surely started adding, you know, someone on the sales team, someone on the marketing team. We did, we did one thing we, one thing we did was we relied on partnering with universities to try to find interns who were getting college credit for for spending some time working with GoShare. And so that I found to be really helpful as well because it was actually a really good value for the, the student, the intern who was joining because they got they were coming into the office getting you know real work experience on the job and and really solid training. And we were getting low cost you know assistance from you know smart, talented, ambitious, students. And so that, that worked out really well. And, and like, I think I mentioned this already, but our, you know, both our current head of marketing and current head of engineering, both started as interns in college and kind of worked their way up through the years. And so that, that was a good strategy for us. And, you know, after that, when it came to hiring, it was, it was, again, it was just looking at the areas that we needed help with and just and adding people with those skill sets as they came in, and we tried some some other non traditional, I guess, routes. Like for example, 
we we partnered with a, a group called Hiring Our Heroes, and that uh, that group in particular focuses on working with military veterans who are transitioning from being in the service to civilian life and getting their first jobs. And so and this particular program focused on veterans who already had a bachelor's degree in addition to their military service. And so, you know, these were highly educated, highly motivated, highly disciplined people. And this program allowed them to kind of work for us you know, for a couple of months while they were kind of going through that transition, again, kind of get that real life work experience. And, and yeah, it helped us, you know, we ended up hiring people from that program as well. Like after their, I guess you, yeah. it was not exactly like an internship, but it was kind of like an internship. It was, I think they called it a fellowship. And after those fellowships would end, you know, those were, those are really good candidates to, to potentially hire that we already had some, some work experience with. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, I, what what I'm hearing is, is you're just obviously scrappy is the word, but you're you're just kind of getting creative in how you're finding help. Obviously, you can't afford a a two or three hundred thousand dollar big VP of whatever hire type of thing, and you're just you're just putting together it initially. When when you when you start to raise some money, there are clearly things that are working. What what were those signals like? Do you have? I mean, are you, are you looking at specific metrics? Do you have someone that owns that? Is that something that you specifically own? Like, how do you understand when you're saying, "Oh, well, this started to work and that started to work"? What were the inner functions when you have what seems like some junior people or maybe some like non really startupy people? You have some good traction, which which can be defined in a bunch of different ways. Like, how did you put it all together to actually understand the business health? I think there was always, you know, certain KPIs that we would keep track of every every month. You know, obviously revenue and sales was is the primary one, but there's other ones too. Like you have to look at customer retention, driver retention, average order value, things like that. So we 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 always looked at metrics, and we did a lot of experiments through the years too, from a marketing perspective and from a sales perspective, and we would take the learnings from those experiments and 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 improve our you know, conversion rates over time, for example. And so that, that really helps out. I think when, do you, uh, do you have an launching. example of, of like a marketing bet that you made that, that went well, right? Like you, you made this bet, you had this information, you had this hypothesis mm -hmm. and then, and then it worked out. I think the, I mean, the biggest marketing bet that we made that worked out was search engine optimization. I think SEO, you know, again, we started doing that from day one. We've been doing it for eight years. And if you look at like our site traffic over the years, it's just consistently been up and to the right. And um, that, that helps out a lot. If you're able to acquire customers, drivers through SEO, there is a time cost to it. But if you know what you're doing, you're not paying per click, you know, or paying per conversion. So, and, there's like kind of like compounding interest that takes place over time. So it gets better and better through the years if you continue to focus on it. So I'd say like we, we made a pretty big bet that that was going to be a way for us to acquire customers and drivers at a low cost in the early days. And it continues to, to pay dividends, you know, to this day. Now, it's interesting. I, I see a lot of see a lot of companies dumping money into ads and and certainly Google and Facebook ads don't don't convert the same way they used to and it seems like they're almost costing more and and lower conversion and and it's interesting that that you really have are taking that bet is is it's an investment to say hey we're not going to have this like spiky growth we don't have big budgets let's invest in in SEO which is really a, a sustainable play and you get to kind of see the the fruit of your labor you know, over the last couple of years, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and we have seen exactly what you mentioned about the cost of ads on Facebook and Google going up over the years are definitely not getting any cheaper. It's getting more and more competitive. And so, you know, we continue to do that, but one, we, we don't need to do as much of it because we're getting so much organic traffic and that really helps out. But also like, it's important that we took the time to really analyze the ads and the money that we were spending and find ways to, to optimize those ads over time. If you just run an ad, the same thing static, and you're not really looking at it and, and understanding what's working, what is converting, 
you're 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 never going to get better. Your your customer acquisition costs are going to remain high. So we every single week we look at customer acquisition costs. What ads are we running? How can we make them more efficient over time? That's interesting. That's interesting. And from so from the sales perspective, things are starting to work well. And and what what is the key metrics outside of out of sales and and revenue and number of customers? But like, what are you looking at to see like, hey, our sales process is actually working, and and let's hire more in that area. You mean like in terms of like like K- KPIs for like the pipeline, like the sales team, or like other KPIs outside of sales? Yeah, I mean it could be sales, it could be go to market, but but in, as far as is there a is there a number that you're looking for? Is there is it just like hey, customers are growing every single week? We're growing customers in different industries. We're coming, they're coming from different places. They're re- like repeating orders. Like what's the thing that you're latching on to to say, hey, it's time to invest more into sales and marketing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few different KPIs that we look at that are kind of important to the business. Obviously, revenue is is number one. Is revenue going up or is it going down? I mean, and that's usually a, a pretty good indicator of the, the health of the the demand side of the marketplace. Another big KPI that we look at is what we call DNF or driver not found, which is kind of a measure of the health of the marketplace in general. So what percentage of the orders that are coming in are we fulfilling? And so for us, we want to get that number as close to 100% as we can. That makes sense. Have you had to deal with issues as, as far as like, I mean, are you, are you at like 90, 97%, 99% or are you in the 60s and 80s percent range where you just you just miss them? So we, it fluctuates, but we tend to be in the mid to high 90s range every month. I think, you know, a couple of years ago when we first started measuring it, we were in the low 90s, you know, as a percentage. So if we, yeah, 60s or 70s or 80s would just be completely unacceptable. It, that that would be a very unhealthy marketplace. And some, some of the orders that come in, you're just not going to be able to fill them. It just doesn't make sense for, for our team of drivers to, to take that order. And so we understand that, you know, we might not ever get to 100%, but, you know, we get excited when we start getting up to, you know, 98, 99%. And seeing Makes those types sense. of numbers, but it's not easy to, you know, that's a, that, that involves a lot of constant work and tweaking and experimenting and trying different types of programs and incentives in order to kind of keep those numbers high. That's interesting. Yeah. I would imagine that if it's too low, then you're just leaving money on the table. And every, every, uh, every, every one is, a, is leaving money on the table. It's exactly right. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. And then, and then your, your marketing goes to waste. So let's talk a little bit about as you're starting to you're starting to get some some good interest, right? Business is starting to flow, revenue's growing, your marketplace is really starting to work. You make this this conscious decision to really heavily focus on the B2B side of things. And you're not doing so much on the B2C side. So the ad spend is not nearly what it used to be from that point of view. Walk us through a little bit about what what were those signals that said, "Hey, Let's go B2B. Let's put our heavy emphasis over here. Not to say we're going to, you know, never touch the B2C and we're not going to handle the inbound that comes, but walk us through your, your strategy and your mindset there. Yeah, I think the first indicator that we were onto something with the B2B was, you know, early, first of all, early on, like I, one of the first large retailers who used us, I believe was West Elm. And it was just a single location in San Diego. But they, they kind of came to us and they're like, hey, we saw, you know, we saw a news story about GoShare. We need help with last mile delivery. Like, can you help us? And that that right there was really telling. And we were like, OK, this is great that a major retailer is like, hey, we have a problem that you can solve. So I think that was one of the first indicators. And then the first, like, I think, true enterprise deal that we signed was with Costco. And that, that was uh, starting in 2017. And Costco was always kind of a target for us. We, the, I, I was a Costco member for a long time and I. And I saw the opportunity there every time I went and shopped at a Costco. And so we knew that they were selling a bunch of big and bulky stuff and they had no delivery service. So they were literally telling their members to go rent a truck. So we saw that as a really big opportunity. And when we were able to, you know, it took a long time, but when we were able to get a contract with them for the first time as a, as a, ref, a referral partner, we knew that, okay, large multinational Fortune 500 companies have a problem that we could solve. 
who else can we solve this problem for? And so I, I think that was kind of how we got started in, in going down that path. So this is an interesting one because I'm, I'm really curious. You're a small little tiny company. You get West Elm coming to you. You got one location. How do you turn around and flip that into a Costco deal? Well, it took it took about a year, I think, of, of negotiating and, and also trying to find the right person to negotiate with. But it took, I think, one, they, they are a, an entrepreneurial type of organization to begin with. And I think they're probably, as a culture, willing to take some risks to, to be to continue to be progressive. And I also know with Costco that the most important thing to them is treating their members well and, and making sure the member has a good experience with them. And and GoShare was the type of solution that enhanced the experience, the shopping experience for their member without really costing them anything. And so I think that we were able to convince them that it was worth it to, to at least give it a shot in one location. So they gave us you know one warehouse in, in San Diego to start and over time, we you know we parlayed that into you know over two hundred locations that we that we deliver from today. So yeah, it wow. took it took a lot of effort. It took time, but ultimately, it was it was almost like obviously a fit, right? Like I, I think they they were able to see GoShare as like okay, this solves a real problem that our members currently have, and it's a more convenient solution than what we're currently offering them, which is like. Hey, go go over to U-Haul or Lowe's or somewhere and, and rent a truck. That's wild. So, I mean, are you just getting on LinkedIn and finding anybody that has a Costco name and a, you know, some type of supply chain, some kind of title, and just cold calling? Cold, like, how do you even figure out how to get in? Like, what'd you do? I, yeah, what you just said was a big part of it. Just old school prospecting and 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 cold calling. Literally going through LinkedIn, trying to find the right contacts, making calls sending emails, sending messages, and and just trying to find the right person. And I probably talked to at least three or four people there that weren't the right person until I finally got to somebody who was able to, 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 to help us and work with us. So yeah, it was just a lot of old school sales tactics. That makes sense. And so, and then, so what, so what happened from there? So obviously you go from one Costco location up to, to now 200 plus now. I mean, are you, is that, was that the focus now is like, Hey, we got West Elm. Now we just figured out how to parlay that into a Costco deal. Let's go get more retailers that are in, you know, maybe appliances or some, some other type of thing that was just like, let's keep going. Is that the play? Yeah, there was, there was, it was kind of two parts. Like one part was like, first we had to expand geographically. So GoShare, when we started, we were only available in two markets in San Diego and New Jersey. But we, we knew that we had to find a way to continue to expand to more markets in order to be considered relevant and, and, and even interesting to a large organization like a Costco, for example. And so we focus on expanding our geographic coverage area while at the same time developing the relationship and, and kind of building trust with some of these business customers so that when we did launch new markets, we can go to them and say, hey, by the way, now we're now we're in LA and in New York and Atlanta and Chicago. Can we deliver for you in these markets as well? That's really interesting. So that, I mean, market, market expansion plus depth into the market and creating those relationships. Now we're starting to expand into like a full fledged B2B market launching team. Like what, what does the team begin to shape up to be here? I mean, is, is, is your VP of business development handling all this? Are you, are you still handling like structuring of the team and the org charts and that type? Like, it, 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 it's becoming a, a real company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say that, you know, for me, my, my personal background and, and, and my strengths are in sales and marketing. So I still spend a lot of my time doing sales and marketing activities, whether it's talking to customers or, or helping write, you know, content for the website that has always been my area of, of interest and expertise. And in addition to that, we've, we, we built out the team to try to focus on those two core competencies. So, you know, obviously, you know, outbound sales, you know, hiring sales professionals to, 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 you know, hit the phones. And at first, you know, the first, the first time we tried to build out the sales team, we started by asking our 
delivery professionals who were already who already knew about GoShare, like, hey, do any of you have a sales background? Would you be interested in, in, in selling for, for us? And we, that was how we hired our first couple salespeople was was through that hmm. channel, essentially. And then from a marketing standpoint, we we actually tried to find people who didn't necessarily come from the industry, but who obviously had strong marketing skills. And our whole team was kind of built by out industry outsiders. You know, I think it, it took us almost four or five years to hire anybody with supply chain or logistics industry experience. We tended, we tended to find people who came from outside of the industry and could kind of think outside the box a little bit to help us grow the, the, the business development team. And so our, our VP of business development, he mostly focuses on the sales side and also to a certain extent, customer success, right? So after the deal closes with, with GoShare, it, it's not like, okay, the deal is closed and you don't have to talk to this person anymore. Like the relationship needs to be built and maintained and expanded over time. So our sales team tends, or business development teams tends to focus on closing and the first couple of years of the relationship. And our marketing team tends to be people who are smart and scrappy and who understand how to find creative ways to build out the marketplace on, on both sides, on the customer side and on the driver side. That's interesting. I mean, I, so are, are you, when you, when you, when you get to that point, are you adding specific types of like attributes that you're looking for specific types of skills? I would imagine that, you know, going into your delivery team, pulling people out of your delivery team, are, are, are you looking for something specific? Like what are those hiring profiles look like to, to, you know, limit the mishiring that you have? Cause I, I would imagine that you had a couple. Yeah, of course. I think for salespeople, when you're hiring them, there's a, there's a couple of traits that you want to look for. I think one of them is, you know, generally they're, they're very outgoing. They're extroverts. A lot of them tend to be motivated by, by money. You know, they, they want to, they want to make money. They want a higher earning potential. They also tend to be very customer focused, customer service focused. So people who understand like the importance of maintaining relationships with your customers. I think that is a, a common trait that, that almost all of those people had. And you also have to, you have to be a hustler, right? You sales is a little bit different than, than other roles at the, at a company, you know, you might have a customer who calls you on a Saturday morning in our business, you know, or, or, or late at night, you know, cause they need something delivered. And, you know, people I think who are, who are kind of willing to focus on their customers and making sure that their customers are happy tend to do really well in sales. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think that, especially nowadays, if you're not customer service or customer kind of success focused, it's people can tell, people can really tell and, and it kind of turns them off. So as you're starting to build out this team and things are starting to go really well, I mean, do you split the team to, to say, hey, you focus on this market and you focus on this other market or, you know, you, you, you focus on a vertical and this other person focuses on a vertical? Like, how do you, how do you structure that? We, we've tried a couple of different structures throughout the years. And at first we had a geographic based model. So we, we hired like one salesperson in each region that we operated in throughout the country and they they were responsible for a, a specific territory. Over time, we kind of went away from that model, mainly because we we learned that, well, first of all, if you're dealing with an enterprise customer, you know, it doesn't matter if their headquarters are in, you know, Massachusetts or California or Texas, you know, they have locations all over the place. And it doesn't matter if you live there necessarily. Um, it's just more important that you're talking to the, the right decision makers at the company. And so the kind of hiring people in certain geographies for sales only, eventually, like we kind of phased that out in favor of more of like what I would call like a hybrid inside outside sales model where you're, you're really spending the most, most of your time like inside making calls, sending emails, but you're also going out to see customers in person, going to conferences to meet customers, et cetera. So it's kind of yeah. a combination of those, of those two things now that, that seems to be working well for us. 
And and what does the team itself look like? I mean, do you have dedicated teams to this that are just like core central? I, I noticed that you have a, what is it, a Brazil office as well as a, a San Diego office, which is cool. I, if you're hiring, I think I'm going to apply to some Brazil <laughs> roles. But like, how, how does this even get set up? I mean, how do you look at it and go, all right, we're starting to make some, you know, customers across the country. You have these multi, you know, state or, or even national type customers. This is going to take people who really understand enterprise selling and how to navigate complex selling environments and multiple stakeholders. Like you're all of a sudden, are you, are you up-leveling the team? Are you going on this hiring you know, bonanza type of thing, or are you just like, hey, let's figure it out with the current team that we have? Yeah, I, I think we, we we built out different teams over time to to handle the different components of the business. So we built out a sales team. You know, I think at its height, there was maybe eight or so people on the sales team, built out a marketing function, built out a customer success function. And as far as like the locations of the employees, you know, we've always been I would call it a remote friendly organization. So we've always had, we've had an office in San Diego and we've had an office in Fortaleza, Brazil for many years. Our, in our, our Brazilian team is entirely made uh, at this point of software engineers. And so long story short behind that, our, our, our head of engineering, Francisco, who, you know, we met him while he was studying at San Diego State. He is from Fortaleza originally. And so after he went to college, he you know, moved back home for a little bit and we ended up hiring some of his classmates and some other people that he worked with at, 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 different, at different companies and kind of building out the team there. And Francisco has, has actually since moved to, to Denver. So he lives in the U.S. now, um, but we continue to kind of build out our engineering team mostly in Brazil. And uh, yeah, it's worked out really well. It turns out that there's a lot of really talented software engineers down in Brazil there's very little language barrier. They, many of them start speaking English at a young age and there's not really a time zone barrier. They, Fortaleza is only, you know, one hour ahead of New York time. So that, that makes it really easy to, to kind of have a, a remote international team and, and not have to worry about, you know, some of the, the, you know, the barriers that may exist like language barriers and time, time barriers. Hmm. That's really interesting. I never thought about that way. Yeah. As a lot of times it's, you know, you're going into Southeast China or something, you know, completely other side of the world where it's 14 hours difference. And I have, I have a bunch of clients with, you know, Ukraine or Russian or something like that, where you're, you're mm -hmm. speaking at all hours of the night. So that, that's an interesting yeah. point there. When you think of the, the team now, I mean, I, what, what is, what has since transpired? I mean, do you have the dedicated marketing roles do you, in, in sales roles, customer success, is it, is it pretty locked in as far as expansion goes, as far as size of customers is like, where, where is it, the company kind of since grown from those, those early days of scale? Yeah. So cur currently we have about 42 people on the team in total. They, they, that's across, you know, four or five different functions. So you know, we have an engineering function, a sales function, marketing, finance, customer support and driver support. And so we've, uh, you know, we've, we've hired people from, from all over the world. We actually have, we have employees and teammates in, in three countries now, the U S Brazil, and also we have two in Portugal and Very cool. one of my favorites. Uh, and, yep. And, uh, as far as the U S is concerned, you know, we, we've never been shy about hiring people like outside of our headquarters location, which is in San Diego. So we have employees kind of spread out all over the, the U S, you know, Texas, Michigan, New Jersey, Florida, you know, Colorado. And, yeah. and it's worked really well because it, it, it allows us to kind of expand our, our talent pool, so to speak. And, and we allow our, our, our employees to, to work from home most of the time. And I think people really want that flexibility these days. They, they don't want to have to commute into the office for an hour or more each day. And I think when we give people that time back, to spend with their family or, or, or friends or whatever, they, they really appreciate it. I totally agree. Have you, have you gotten to the point where you have a, like a dedicated enterprise sales team? I mean, is it still a heavy focus on SEO or in, in, in driving inbound and, and obviously you have organic search, but 
are you, have you put together more of a, an outbound sales team or is your sales team mainly like just handling all the inbound that's coming? So the, it's, it's kind of both, right? So the sales team, their outbound efforts are mostly focused on enterprise customers, but they also handle the inbound leads that come in too. And because of our strong SEO, we, we call them hot leads. You know, we have hot leads that kind of come in all the time. Sometimes the hot leads are enterprise companies, but sometimes they're small and medium-sized companies that just need a little bit of help to get started. But the cool thing about GoShare is that it's really kind of a self-serve model. So a lot of customers can actually sign up and use GoShare without ever talking to a salesperson. And that's right. what happens a lot of times, especially if it's a smaller company, they might just come to the website and they're like, yep, create an account, place an order. And within a minute, they're, they're now a customer. And yeah. so we try to make it really simple to use so that technically they don't ever have to talk to a salesperson. But with an enterprise company, obviously, that's a little bit different. There's a sales process. There's a vetting process. And also, there, there might be an integration process as well. So a lot of our enterprise customers today prefer to integrate our API into their system as opposed to using our website or our mobile app to order. That makes sense. So are you, I mean, the, the new phrase is, you know, PLG and product-led growth. I mean, are you using this self-serve model of these enterprise customers that are signing up to then feed to the sales team to then say, hey, go after, you know, big name XYZ? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think, yeah, product-led growth is, is, is one of the strategies that we, that we use. Our, the concept is, right, if you build a great product and you make it easy for people to find it and sign up and use it, you can grow exponentially faster than if you than if you don't do that. You know, we so you try to remove all those barriers and make it really simple for for customers who want to use you to to be able to use you. Yeah. And so, yeah, we de we definitely take a, a product led growth approach to uh, to our go to market strategy. I'm curious through throughout the years. I mean, it, it sounds like you make it sound easier than I know than it really has been. <laughs> what are what are some of what are some of the challenges from a go-to-market perspective that you know you've been able to overcome over the last couple of years to be able to get to where you are today? Well I think in the you know in the early days when you don't have a reputation it's really hard to sell. If no one knows your name and and no one knows if you're good or not really challenging right so i think we spent the first couple of years like making sure to focus on like building out a really good reputation so that what that what does that mean right that's collecting reviews online on google or or the app store or facebook or yelp or whatever it is to try to build up that reputation and you also have to you, you also have to prove the concept right so it's a lot easier to call on an enterprise customer after you've already successfully served another enterprise customer. So in the early days, it's really hard to get that first customer, the first couple of customers to, to try it. They really have to be progressive thinkers. They have to be risk takers to a certain extent. And, and so we had to get the first couple. And I think once we got the first couple under our belt, we were able to, we were able to kind of parlay that into to new customers down the line. That makes sense. When you think about the, the, the bets that you've made over the last couple of years and since growing on the business, what would you say is like your top one, top two best bets from a revenue standpoint that you've made? The best bet from a revenue standpoint was our decision to pivot our development focus from the apps to an API. That was kind of the critical, the critical product component that we needed in order to, to be a truly enterprise caliber solution for our customers. And so we launched our API in the Q3 of 2021, and it was a significant technical undertaking and risk, right? So, but yeah, it certainly has paid off so far in the API is now the primary generator of revenue for us. And the kind of the mobile apps and the website are now secondary to that. Wow. That's huge. That is quite the shift. That's, that's one heck of a good bet that you just made. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, in hindsight, it, it seems obvious and we probably should have even started focusing on it even earlier, 
than we did. But it, it really, it, it took us, a, you know, we had to really understand the customer and what they needed before we were, you know, confident enough to, to kind of make that, that bet. Interesting. So let me flip it around and then, and then, and then we'll wrap this up. What, if you could do one thing differently, or maybe what was your biggest misstep in scaling out your go-to-market? The biggest misstep I think that we made was we, we tried hiring a, a CRO and we, we did it a little, we, we hired the wrong person at the wrong time. And, you know, that I think set us back a decent amount. So if I could redo one thing, I, I probably would, would redo that. I would have waited a little bit longer to, uh, to, to find someone for that role. And what, what was it just the, the wrong, the business didn't need the person or is it just, Hey, it, it was the wrong type of skills that you needed at the time. I think, I think it was just the, we were just, it was the wrong person at the wrong time. The wrong yeah, skills, right. you know, we, yeah, it was in hindsight, we would have been, we would have been better off focusing on hiring individual contributors than trying to build out a management function at the, at the stage. So that, that's probably the one thing that I would redo. Yeah, we see that. I see that quite often. I do. I do this thing called a sales audit, where I actually go in and I assess teams to be able to help them with those hiring and those strategic changes as they grow. And oftentimes, people people pull the trigger a little bit earlier than they want on the CROs and that those top level people. Sean, this is. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a blast. I want to wrap it up with a couple of a couple of last minute questions that we can share with the audience. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite resource that you recommend to to founders or, or go to market leaders at the be at the beginning stages of scaling? My favorite book, I think, for founders and just in, for for business people in general, is "How to Win Friends and Influence People" by Dale Carnegie. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you've heard other people say that before. It's a classic. It's been around for you know over a hundred years, but I find that that book to be incredibly insightful for not only not only for business but also just dealing with people on a, on a daily basis and so i think a lot of the lessons that that i took away from that book have helped me not only like build the business and, and close more deals with customers but but help you in your interactions with every every person that you deal with whether it's one of your your teammates employees or your your friends or just a random person you kind of meet in your day-to-day -day life. So that's probably the one book that I would recommend to everybody. That's a great one. I, that's one of my faves. How, anything else we can share? Tell, tell us more about GoShare. How do, how do we get more a hold of you? Learn more about the program. Learn more about the new new API. Yeah, I, th I mean, you know, GoShare is is here to kind of help any any business really that needs that needs help moving big and bulky items from point A to point B. We also, we also have a kind of a smaller parcel courier delivery service as well. We've seen that component of the business grow pretty rapidly in the, in the next year or two. So, you know, we're, we're always interested in, in, in taking on new customers in, you know, in retail and, and in other categories who, you know, who need to, to move items around. In terms of getting a hold of me, you know, the best, best way to usually reach out to me is on LinkedIn. I, I usually check LinkedIn you know, every week, uh, a couple of times, and yeah, we're we're you know we're interested in in talking to people who want to join the company in, in any capacity, and and of course, like anyone who's interested in in doing business with us, you know, we'd be happy to chat with you. And uh, even if it's not me that gets back to you, you know, someone on our team will get back to you pretty quickly. So yeah, feel feel free to reach out to GoShare. You know, you can visit our website, GoShare.com. You can you can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. You can download our app in the App Store for for iOS and for for Android. And for customers who are interested in you know, a deeper integration with an, with an API, you know, we'd be happy to kind of walk you through the process and, and how it works. And it's a it's a developer friendly API. So you know if you have a, if you have a team of, of engineers on your side, it's not that difficult to to implement the into integration. And that's like kind of the the most seamless scalable delivery experience that we offer. Love it. Go, go to GoShare. 
I appreciate you coming on, Sean. This has been a blast. We're going to have to have you on when you go public or you sell it and tell the rest of the story. I'm excited for you. I appreciate yeah, you thanks, coming Alex. on. We'll, we'll have you on again. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great, great chatting with you. And um, yeah, thanks for, for helping to, you know, to tell our story. We appreciate it. And yeah, happy to come, happy to come back on after the IPO or, or, or the sale and, and talk more about how we got there. Love it. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.